Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of the Ocean View Podcast. No matter where you're at in our country or around the world, we thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Now sit back and enjoy this week's message. Good morning, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us this week at our church. We're continuing our series entitled, This Is Us. And while myself and a team of members from Ocean View are in Bulgaria teaching at a conference, I'm very, very thrilled to have our kids pastor, Aaron Bauer, fill in for me while I'm gone. Pastor Aaron is going to talk specifically today about a topic that's very dear to the heart. In fact, he's going to talk about an incredible God that fights for yours. So once again, thanks so much for joining with us today. If you're a new visitor, I look forward to meeting you personally when I get back. But right now, I'm excited to join with you as Pastor Aaron unpacks what it means to fight for the heart. Hi, good morning. Now be honest, be honest. Some of you, when he said kids pastor, you were like, uh, really? And you started looking around for like balloons or clowns. They're scary right now, I don't know if you knew that. So, no, not true. I don't have any of those things. I'm Aaron, by the way. I'm, I'm really excited to be with you guys um, today. I've been at Ocean View now for about three months, my family and I. We moved here from Raleigh on Memorial Day weekend, which was a mistake. But we got through it, and we stuck around, and we love it. And so, so my, uh, my wife, Whitney, and I have two amazing kids. One is three. Uh, his name is Graham, and my daughter is Maisie, and she, I think, is 20 months old. She turns two in January, and I'm not good with math. So once we get to, you always have to count months, you know, until they turn two, and then you can say two. So that's how it is. Um, but we've really enjoyed being a part of Ocean View, and, um, and just to be a part of a team that values the next generation has been extremely exciting. I love that about um, any church that values the next generation, and there's been a particular interest here um, on our kids and our students. And so I just got to say, if you serve with our kids or our student teams, you already know this, but you're like my heroes. I think you guys are the, are the best because you give to a generation of people that honestly, they can't give you much back right now. And that is the heartbeat of Jesus, I have to tell you. So I love that. I love people who are passionate about kids and students and about helping them know and follow Jesus and get connected in a body of believers and actually start serving themselves to be the church and not just sit in church. And so I love that. If you're on those teams, if you're not on those teams, you're invited. Be a part of something bigger and, and jump in with us because it's a lot of fun. And uh, if you haven't done it, man, you really should. So that's a little bit about me. I want to talk to you guys today and kind of pick up the conversation that we started last week. Now, last week, Terry started talking about um, the family. And that's what our conversation is about over the next couple of weeks is about the family. And he started with this really simple idea, this amazingly so simple truth that we probably haven't even thought of it before kind of truth. And we're just going to quickly review that um, before we jump into today's continuation of that conversation. And um, if you missed last week, I would really encourage you to go back and watch that online or listen to it this week, because I think it will help you no matter what phase of life you are in, whether you have kids or whether they're grown and gone or whether you are single or whether you're a student. I just think there's so much in that. Um, and we're going to quickly review it 
right now. So to set it up, Moses was one of God's chosen leaders to lead God's chosen people. And Moses was leading the Israelites, God's chosen people, out of slavery and into a promised land that had been set up for them. And it was a promise that had been made hundreds and hundreds of years before Moses was even born. And Moses is the one that God chose to lead them into the promised land. And they're about to go in. And right before they do, Moses says, we've got to take a time out, Zach Morris time out, those of you that know that. And we have to stop and we just have to review something real quick. So he sits everyone down and he says, remember that law that God gave us? Remember how he told us how to live? Can we talk about that one more time? Remember how he said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength? Remember how he said that? Moses goes on to say it this way in Deuteronomy 6. Let's take a quick look. He said, you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again. And again, and again to your kids. If you have kids, you know what that's like. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. And what I love about this passage, and what Terry pointed out last week, is that when we talk about how to disciple our kids, or how to help someone follow Jesus, it's not like this extra add-on kind of thing into our day. It's actually just making it part of our rhythm, taking these everyday moments that God has given each of us and making sure that we talk about the things of God as we go through our day. So we broke that down into four kind of time frames that happen on a daily basis. One is our drive time, so walking along the road. So in your, in your minivan or if you're on your golf cart, whatever it might be, drive time, you're talking about the things of God with your family. Mealtime, sitting down together. Now, I know when you have younger kids, it's a little easier to do because they have to be there. As as kids get older, we're moving in different directions, and so that time is even more limited. But when you sit down together, make sure that you talk about the things of God. At bedtime, when you go to bed at night, man, that's such a great opportunity because we all go to bed at night. So before the next day, let's talk about what happened today. What did we see God do in our minds and in our hearts? And then in morning time, when we wake up in the morning... We have a wonderful day. And this morning was beautiful. I don't know if you were up early, but I was, and it was great. These natural rhythms in our day, and God said it's not an add-on, it's part of. And we said last week that when you find your rhythm, you're just saying yes to the time that you already have. And I've been thinking about that a lot. And there's just one thing that I love about this that is also, also like, it's like a double-edged kind of sword. These rhythms are fantastic. They are they are just natural parts of my life. And God says, nope, they're more than just normal rhythms. They're like God-ordained moments, okay? But as you know, these moments, these rhythms can be interrupted with unexpected things all the time, right? Because these rhythms involve our family. These rhythms involve relationships. And relationships involve people. And people, I don't know if you know this or not, are kind of messy, We get things wrong. We mess up. And our rhythms can get disrupted pretty quickly. As I mentioned, my son uh, is three. Now, I read a long time ago that when a kid wakes up in the morning, how they wake up is extremely important to how they are going to go throughout their day. 
And this is still true of you as an adult, right? Like if, for example, if the fire alarm like goes off in the middle of the night or like there's this beeping sound, you know, that it makes sometimes or anything disrupts your natural rhythm, it can offset your entire day. And for the next four or five hours, you're just, it's just over, right? It takes you a long time to recover from that. It's even more so the younger you are. And so my son, when he was about two years old or so, I decided in my heart, I'm going to make sure that he wakes up well so that he has a great day or at least a better opportunity for that. And so that's been going really well. What happens generally is he'll wake up in the morning and on the monitor, I will hear him say, mama, mama, mama. And my wife looks at me and says, that means you because I'm not awake yet. I say, okay, yes, ma'am. So So I go upstairs and I go in and I get him and I say, Graham, good morning. Did you have any great dreams? God has an amazing plan for you today. I'm so excited about all the things you're going to get to do today. Let's open the window. And it's a wonderful time. That's the morning time. I mean, that's great. And birds are chirping and there's butterflies flying around and we're dancing and skipping and it's fantastic, right? Remember I said he's three. So a few weeks ago, everything has changed. The rhythm has been disrupted. So now I go into the room, right? So on the monitor, mama, mama, mama. And Whitney says, that's you. I said, yes, ma'am. So I go upstairs as I do every morning. And I say, good morning, Graham. We're going to have a great day today. I'm so excited. Do you have any fun? He goes, no. And I said, what did I do? I did something wrong. What have I done? This is a disruption. I said, what's going on, buddy? I said, we're going to have a good day. God made you wonderful. He goes, no. I said, okay. He said, I wanted mama to come get me. And I'm like, okay, well, buddy, I always come to get you. So I'm going to take you downstairs and you can see mama and she'll be down there and you can even get in her bed. Would that be, no, I want her to come get me. Well, buddy, I'll get you. No, I'm not leaving this bed. Okay. And all of a sudden my morning rhythm has shifted. But it's not just in morning time because it also extends into meal time. And as we're sitting down together and I am trying to tell him about all these wonderful fruits and vegetables that God made for him to eat so that he can grow up and be strong and be the person that God wants him to be and help all the people that God wants him to help. Instead of having that conversation, I'm trying to figure out how many dinners is it going to take tonight to get him to eat? Because there's always three. There's the one that we want him to eat. There's the one that he wants to eat, and it's the one that he will actually eat, right? And so we're trying to figure out how do we pry his mouth open so that he actually eats something that isn't bread or french fries, and my mealtime has been disrupted. Now, that seems interesting and comical, but here's the truth. Those disruptions occur at any age. Whatever phase our kids are in, whatever phase of life you're in, that happens. Our rhythms get disrupted. So maybe instead of it being like wake-up time or meal time, maybe instead it's like curfews or homework or relationships, right? Or technology. Or maybe it doesn't even change as you get older. It's something in the workplace. It's conflict. Our natural rhythms get disrupted pretty quickly with unexpected circumstances, unexpected pain, unexpected conflict. And our rhythms feel like They're falling apart. We can find ourselves in these moments when that stuff kind of happens to want to attack the issue or the behavior or the person that is bringing them to us. And when we do that, we forget that we're not just fighting against a behavior. We are actually instead fighting for a person. I was a teacher uh, several years ago. 
I taught at a Christian high school. I taught ninth grade. And one of my students, and I loved all of my students, and it was one of the most amazing times of my life. And if you're a teacher, God bless you. You're doing an amazing job. And I don't say that lightly. Like, I mean, it's a really hard job. And so, listen, I had this student who was supposed to write a paper. It was a 14-page paper. He plagiarized. That means he copied and pasted over half of it. Straight from the internet. Copy-paste. And he thought I wouldn't figure it out. But he used words that no ninth grader would use. So I'm like, okay, we, we, let's Google that. And there it is. <laughs> there it is. And so I ask him, I call him after school. I'm like, hey, listen, um, we got to talk about this. Like, I'm, I'm actually concerned because it was a Christian school and he, he claimed to follow Jesus. And I, I'm actually very concerned about his heart. I want to know why he thought that this would be okay. And first he said he didn't do anything wrong. He didn't copy that. I'm like, oh, the internet copied you. I see. I see how it's going. And so... We have this conversation. I lay it out side by side for him. And and finally, he's like, yeah, I did that, but it's no big deal. And I'm going back and forth with him. And I, I had tried hard to build a relationship with him over the year, but now we're just falling. It's falling apart right now. And I got so upset. And in a moment of absolute frustration, I took his paper and I ripped it in half because I get dramatic sometimes. And I ripped it in half and I laid it down. I was like, you failed. Like, that's it. And in that moment, I realized something. I switched in that moment from fighting for him as a person to fighting against him. My relationship in that moment broke a little with him. And we do that with people in our lives all the time, whether it's our kids, our spouses, our friends, people in our workplace, wherever we're at, we allow behaviors to trump our relationship sometimes. We're not fighting against behavior though. The fight that we are in is actually for the heart. We're not fighting against behavior. We're fighting for the heart. When we fight for the heart, we actually care more about who a person is than what they do. And there's a big difference there. When we fight for the heart, we care more about who they are, about who they are becoming than what they have done to us or in their own lives. And I know that seems counterintuitive because I know that we see behavior and it's really easy to focus on a behavior. It's really easy to focus on something that someone has done and we can attack that, but it's not the issue. The issue at hand is actually deeper than that. It's rooted in the heart. Now, as we start talking about the heart, I think it's important to note something. When we talk about the heart, we have to note this. Our conception of the heart is a little misguided. Because we live in a culture right now where anything that happens, we're like, oh, just follow what? Follow your heart. If we have a decision to make, we might be given this advice sometimes. We might be told, oh, well, what does your heart tell you. Just follow your heart. Let your heart lead the way. And there's been a lot of great songs written about that. A lot of Disney movies have that as their theme. And I love Disney movies, okay? But they got it wrong on this one. God's word says something different. Let's look at Jeremiah real quick. And God tells us this about the heart. And the language here is a little intense. Here we go. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things. Wow. And 
desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. Did you know that? Do you know that the heart is deceitful? It's desperately wicked. So when you tell someone to follow your heart or someone gives you that advice, that is the absolute worst advice they could ever give you. Don't do it. It's a lie. But fortunately, the Bible also tells us some other cool things about the heart. So how do we do this? How do we fight for this heart? How do we fight for something that is so desperately wicked? And why would we want to? Well, we want to because Jesus did for us. Remember, our hearts were desperately wicked, and yet he loved us enough to die for us so that we could have a, what, relationship with him. He fought for our heart. Solomon was one of the wisest people who ever lived. And he wrote a book called Proverbs. That's a lot of wise sayings in it. A lot of cool stuff for us to learn. So I want to look at some of those things. And I encourage you to read all of this later. But we're just going to look at a couple things in Proverbs chapter 4. So take a look at this. Now, before we jump into this, I do have to preface it with this. Solomon is assuming the role of a father speaking to a son. Now, this might be like you giving advice to a friend. You can assume that role as we read this. Or maybe it's you as a parent. Or maybe it's you as a student giving your parents some advice. That works both ways sometimes. And sometimes, maybe it's, maybe it's like just a friend in your workplace. Or maybe it's just for your own heart. But, but just take a look at this. My children, listen when your father corrects you. Pay attention and what? Learn good judgment. For I am giving you good guidance Don't turn away from my instructions. Let's keep going. Take hold of my instructions and don't let them go, for they are the key to life. You're going to see Solomon continue to build this up, and he's going to say the same thing a lot to give what he's about to say a lot of importance. Pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Okay, Solomon's really setting us up here. He's like, listen carefully. This is big news. Pay attention. Don't lose sight of this. Let them penetrate deep into your heart. They bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. All right, you ready? He's going to tell us what this is. This is the big news. Here it is. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart above all else. It determines the course of your life. Now, when we talk about the heart, there's two kinds that I'm a visual person. So I always think of like the blob inside of me that's like and pumping blood through my entire body. That's how I know that I'm alive and it moves in a rhythm. And if something happens to that rhythm, that means that something is wrong with me. But that's not the kind of heart Solomon's talking about. Obviously, he's talking about the heart that makes you, you, your essence of who you are. And all of your life flows from that. Everything you are flows from what your heart is. So guard it and guard it well. All of my relationships are going to flow from my heart. All of my interactions, all the choices I make, whether good or bad, are going to flow from my heart. Everything I put in it comes out into my life in some form or fashion. And that begs a really, really important question, doesn't it? What is in my heart? Because there's a lot in my heart. What's in your heart? What is going on inside of there? Do you want to know why we continue to do the same thing over and over again? Like in a bad behavior? Like maybe we keep returning to the same sin over and over again, or we keep making wrong choices in our relationships? 
You want to know why we respond to conflict the way that we do? It's because of what's in our heart. Everything flows from it. When we talk about the heart, we're talking about all the things that we put into it. What's in your heart today is going to determine your life tomorrow. What's in your heart today determines your life 10 years from now. In fact, who you are today is a result of what's been in your heart yesterday and 10 years ago. Who I am today is a result of what's been put into my heart over the course of my life. So what are you putting in your heart? Jesus said that what comes out of our mouth is a result of what is inside of our heart. Jesus said that our actions are a result of what's inside of our heart. So what's in it? We have to be kind of careful about this. And this is why Solomon puts so much weight on this idea of guarding your heart. Because there's a lot of influences fighting for my heart. There's a lot of influences in this, in this world that really want my heart's attention. And there's a lot of influences speaking things into my heart that aren't true. Because remember, it is desperately what? Wicked. So when I turn on the radio, if we still have those, I do because my auxiliary jack is currently broken in my car. So I have to listen to the radio. So I turn on my radio or when I turn on the TV or when I'm watching something online or reading something online, those are influences that are speaking into my heart. And a lot of those influences aren't good. And some are. Some of those influences say that I can choose to be whoever I want to be and I can choose whatever path I want. Some of those influences say that my relationships come and go, that nothing is permanent. Those influences tell me that sometimes things are just hopeless and there's nothing I can do about it. Those influences tell me sometimes that the things that I really should value in my life are actually meaningless. And it tells me that the things that are actually meaningless have significant value. There's a lot of influences coming in to my heart, telling me that I'm not good enough, that I'm not smart enough, that I don't look right, that I'm not rich enough. There's all these influences telling me all the things that I am or that I'm not. And I have to tell you, it gets really confusing and overwhelming sometimes. And I have, can I just pause for a second? And on that note, if you're a parent or if you're a student in this room, can I just tell you something? You are living in a time like no other time in history. Like none other time. And I'm in there with you. You just are. It's the cards we were dealt. When I was a kid, here we go again. When I was a kid, listen, I never thought I'd say that. I, I used to be in high school and be like, why, why do people say that? I understand now. I understand. Um, listen, I could go to school and I would be surrounded by influences of people, some who loved God, some who didn't. And then I could go home. And in my home, my parents loved God. And there were values placed in me. And I could shut out all those other voices telling me that I was, I was not enough. <sighs> Today, that is 24-7. There is no escape from that voice. Do you know why? Because we are connected to those voices like no other time in history. We are exposed to them on a 24-7 hour basis all the time they're coming into us i used to be able to leave kids at school when i was a kid if they were bullying me or picking me or telling me something that wasn't true or lying to me or trying to get me to do something that i knew was wrong and i could just ignore it but today it's all the time it's constant as a 33 year old this is still pressure that i'm not sure i can handle and yet it is in the hands 
of our kids and our students. And this is why the average age for exposure to pornography is 11 years old. And it's getting younger by the year. And we've said all this pressure and we've said all this influence and we have put it in the hands of our kids and students and said, I hope you can figure it out because we sure can't. We have to guard what goes into our heart. If I at 33 cannot take inventory of all the influences that are coming into my heart, then I cannot expect that same pressure to be true of a 14-year-old. I just can't. I'm not anti-technology. I am not any of that. I'm just saying, let's take a peek at what we're putting into our hearts. That goes for all of us. I'm not talking just students. I'm talking every person. So what is going into our hearts? We have to know this. This is really important. How do we guard against it with all these influences? And I have to tell you that with all these influences and all these voices coming into my life, there is one thing that's true. I want to be who God wants me to be. And I want my son to be who God wants him to be. And I want my daughter to be someone that God wants her to be and that she loves him passionately. And if I want these things for the life of my family and for my own life, and I want that for the life of everyone that I encounter in all of my relationships, I want them to know that God is for them and that they can be for God and have a relationship with him. I want to fight for their heart and not get caught up in all this behavior. Because at the root is your heart. What's in your heart determines the course of your life. What's in your heart determines the course of your life and your relationships. A couple weeks ago, I was supposed to be in Disney World, one of my favorite places on earth, because it's happy. I like it a lot. And um, the same week that I was supposed to arrive there, the same day, you know what else arrived there? A hurricane. Irma. Irma! So, So I canceled my trip. And I rebooked a different trip. Now, when I was going to Florida, I knew exactly what I was going to pack to go to Florida. Shorts, t-shirts, flip-flops. That's it, because it's nice and sunny and it's warm there, and that's where I was going to go. I've rebooked my trip, though. Guess where I'm going now? Canada. What I have put in my suitcase for Florida is no longer helpful in Canada, where the high is 60 degrees when I'm going, probably lower. So what I put into my heart is actually setting me up for where I'm going later down the road. You see what I pack in my suitcase is based on where I want to end up. So where do I want to end up in my life? And what am I putting into my heart now that's going to put me on a track to get there? Well, what should we put into our hearts? Well, Solomon gives us some insight to that as well. And there's a pattern that we see here. And I want you to kind of see if you can figure it out with me. Let's look at it. Um, in Proverbs chapter 4, and we're going to jump around a little bit, so you can write these down if you want and check them later or check out our notes online. My father taught me, take my words to heart. Follow my commands and you will live. Check out the next one. Tie them on your fingers as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. My child, never forget the things I have taught you. Store my commands where? In your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. I have hidden your word where? In my where? Heart. Why? So that I might not sin against you. Now, there's a pattern in all of these verses and all of these references to the heart. 
when I read them, I get a little confused because I do not remember things with my heart. Where do I remember things? Here. With my mind. It's like he's saying your heart is actually where you think. And everything flows through that. Now that's a pretty interesting concept and a different kind of idea than all the songs that I've heard about and all the follow your heart kind of mantra that I've heard over the course of my life. If I understand that my heart is actually where I think, that actually changes lots of things. Paul was an apostle of Jesus. He went around and told everybody about Jesus. He wrote lots of letters to different churches. And one of the letters, he kind of sums it up this way. And I think it's appropriate for us if we understand that the heart is where I think. He said, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble... Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Now, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, I don't know about you, but I look at this list and I'm like, absolutely, I want to think about all of these things because it just sounds like fun. And it sounds like a much better day if I'm thinking about these things than everything else in my life, right? I want to think about these things. But he doesn't stop there. Look what else he says. He says, whatever you have learned or received from me or seen in me, do what with it? Put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. There's a formula in this that Paul is telling us about. He's saying, listen, if you think right about all these wonderful things, if you think about the things of God, things that are noble, things that are praiseworthy, if you think right, and then you put it into practice, you actually do right, the God of peace will be with you. And I want peace. If I think right, and I do right, I'm going to feel right. It starts where I think. But our culture says a little differently. And my own wicked heart says it differently as well sometimes. It actually flips it around a little bit. All those influences that are in my life say it a different way. They say that if it feels right, if it feels good, then just do it. And if you think it's wrong, then just change the way you think about it. And then it'll be okay. I know that this is true because my son did this to me two days ago. Our neighbors have a trampoline and he wanted to go on the trampoline. So he goes outside and he tells my wife, Daddy said I could go on the trampoline. She comes in later. Did you say that Graham could go on the trampoline? I said, I did not. I didn't even, it was never a conversation. She says, well, he's actually been doing this a lot lately. He's been saying that you're saying things that you haven't said. And I said, okay, that's called lies, by the way, if you didn't know. And so I'm like, well, he's three. We got to learn about this. We got to teach him this. So, So I go to him and I say, hey, Graham, why did you say that I said that you could go on the trampoline. Why are you saying things that aren't true? Why are you saying that I said things that I never said? And he looks at me and he says, because I was excited about the trampoline. I'm like, okay, that's a good answer. Um, But it's the wrong answer. For him, it felt right. So he thought he could just do it and it would be okay. That's what a three-year-old does. But that's true. That's what we all do, isn't it? If it feels right, we think we can just do it and then we'll change our thinking to agree with it later. And I don't want to be that way. I want the God of peace to be in my life. I want to feel right the way that he wants me to feel right. I want to think right so that I can do what he's called me to do so that I can feel right. Because his plan for me is so much bigger 
than anything else. Here's what else is true. If the heart is where I think, then sin actually begins in my mind. Sin always starts as a thought. That's why Jesus said, if you look at another woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. Because it's where we think. So if we want to change our hearts, we have to change the way we think. That's where it starts. We have to ask God to change how we see things, how we see the world. We have to step back and see people and see our relationships and see this world the way that he sees it. And it starts with us. If I'm going to fight for the heart of other people in my life, if I'm going to fight for relationships in my life, then it starts with me taking inventory of what's in my own heart. Jesus died for our hearts. He died for all of who we are. He looked at my heart and saw that it was desperately wicked. And he said, I'm going to fight for it to the point of death. Look at this last verse. We're going to look at this last thing. David wrote this psalmist. He said, search me, O God, know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. And I want that. I want that for me. I want that for my wife. I want that for my kids. I want that for my friends. I want that for my parents. I want that for for everyone I encounter, for all of my relationships. I want to know what's in me that needs to be given over so that I can think more like Jesus, so that I can think more like him, so that I can value relationships more, so that I can love God and love others. That's what Jesus did for me. That's what he wants for me. So this morning, we talk about fighting for the heart. We're really just talking about fighting for people, fighting for relationships and understanding what's going on in our hearts and what's going on in theirs. And maybe we just need to take a moment. I don't know what's going on in your world. I don't know what's happening in your family. Maybe there's conflict. Maybe there's anger. Maybe there's desperation. I don't know what's happening, but maybe you just need to take inventory of your heart and examine the influences that are coming into it and how you're perceiving them. Can we pray together? I just want to pray for you. I want to pray for me. I want to pray for this world we live in. God, our hearts, they get messed up quick. And we find ourselves fighting against things and against people rather than for them. And how we think about things and how we view the world and how we view other people, it's all rooted in how we think. God, I want to think about your word. I want to think about you. I want to think about how you love us. I want that to spill out into my relationships to how I love other people. So God, in the rhythms of our life, when we encounter those interruptions, would you help our first response to be to to fight for the heart, to see the heart the way that you do, to value people more than anything else. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information about the ministries at Ocean View, or if you'd like to speak to someone directly, you can visit our website at www.ovbc.org. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.